You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, excited to, to dive into the scriptures with you all again after a week out of the pulpit last week. Grateful to James for stepping in and continuation of this sermon series that we began coming out of Easter that we're going to bring to a close this morning, the final week of, of this study of some of the Bible's most remarkable benedictions and doxologies. Uh, my name is Jamie, by the way, if we haven't met, one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who most Sundays gets to unpack the scriptures as we gather in uh, spaces like these. As I mentioned every week of this series, because it's a shorter series, trying to frame it up, recognizing that perhaps people are coming in for the first time uh, in a, a brief series like this, or maybe we're back in the kids' wing volunteering and then out on vacation. And so to try to help get us all on the same page, a quote that I've shared from week one of this series and each subsequent week, A.W. Pink says, a doxology is an ascription of praise, a benediction is a word of blessing. The one, a doxology, ascends uh, from the heart of the saint to God. The other, a benediction, a word of blessing, descends from God to the saint. With the doxology, uh, which we, we just participated in doxological praise. I love the, the end of that last song that we just sang as the instrument uh, go, goes out and, and then it's just the voices and we we hear our own voices, we hear the voices of brothers and sisters around us, God's redeemed, praising the Lord. Uh, that's part of the Christian life, uh, doxological praise, ascribing praise to the, the God who's worthy of all glory and praise. With a benediction, uh, we lift our hands, palms up as we receive the, the blessings that only God can bestow. If we're to receive blessing, uh, it must come from him. An example, again, that I've given each week of this series to try to, to offer the distinction, a doxology, uh, an example of that would be Jude 25, which uh, James preached last Sunday, to the only God, our Savior, uh, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. An example of a benediction, going back to week one of this series, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There Paul speaking a word of blessing upon the, the church in Corinth. The hope of this sermon series is that we, we might, on the one hand, more deeply marvel at, at God and might increasingly ascribe praise to him who is worthy. And two, on the other hand, that we might grow in a deeper understanding of, enjoyment of, experience of the blessings that God bestows upon his redeemed. Again, recognizing that the Christian life is, is nothing less than that beautiful both and of hands lifted in heart-filled praise and humble reliance and dependence, palms up and palms down. And so with that, uh, as we close out this series this morning, I invite you to open up uh, to the book of Revelation, chapter one, will be in verses four through six. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to use that Bible during your time with us. Take that home with you. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, would love to know that you're exploring 
God's word, not just in spaces like these, but uh, as we scatter throughout the week as well. Let me go and pray for us and we'll dive into this incredible passage together. Heavenly Father, you are eternal. As we will talk about this very morning, as we'll see in this very passage, uh, you are him who is and who was and who is to come. Holy Spirit, your fullness, uh, the sevenfold beauty of who you are. We'll unpack that as well. Lord Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. We, we get to sit with the wonder and beauty of the Trinitarian God this morning. I pray that it wouldn't be lost on us, the wonder of it all, that we wouldn't walk away having participated in a Bible study that acquires us more head knowledge, but doesn't work its way down into the deep recesses of our, our heart. And so uh, we're desperate for you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as we were desperate, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, to be rescued into this family of God, Father, you decreed the plan of salvation from eternity past. Jesus, you stooped into the slums of our world to accomplish it. Spirit of God, you applied redemption to our hearts. We are just as desperate for the triune God today as we were when we were first redeemed. God, I pray for anyone who might have come into this place this morning outside of the faith, or that they would experience that, that wonder of what it is to be rescued into the family of God, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be made a, a kingdom and priest to our God as we'll look at this morning as well. Holy Spirit, would you move in power I pray that you would also give me, along with everyone in this space, a feeling sense of the things I preach. And I ask these things ultimately for your glory and our joy and good. In Christ's name I pray, amen. The book of Revelation begins with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The word revelation means a, an unveiling of unseen realities, pulling back of the, the curtain, so to speak which most of us are by and large drawn to, right? Be it the end of a good old-fashioned home remodeling episode or the moment of the big reveal in a whodunit murder mystery, particularly drawn, many of us, to unveiling, so to speak, pertaining to things eternal. Remember when I'd go to visit my grandparents on my dad's side, there was always some episode of Dateline or 2020, Barbara Walters or someone talking about uh, or interviewing someone who had had this near-death experience or had, had seen the afterlife and come back. And uh, we're, we're just enamored with these things. Our curiosities uh, overwhelm us. What is that light at the end of the tunnel? Is that really a thing? Book of Revelation, it's an unveiling it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of heaven's king, his throne, his kingdom, and his victory over evil. The theme of, of revelation, Jesus wins. 
The fact that it's an unveiling, meaning that you and I are invited to to peer in, a vision that was never meant to remain hidden, written by uh, whom most scholars uh, agree and understand to be the Apostle John to seven first century churches scattered throughout the Roman province of of Asia. Some of you may recall uh, several years back, we, we did a study of the seven letters written to the seven churches Addressing, John does a number of prominent concerns that have proven both timely and timeless for God's people since. From persecution to false teaching, from spiritual complacency to moral compromise. Presenting believers, John does with something of the majesty and glory of Jesus to the the promise of where this truest of fairy tales is headed. That we might be encouraged that we might be motivated, that we might be reassured, we might be strengthened to to persevere in trust, to persevere in faithfulness, to persevere in obedience, to fight the good fight of faith, to run the race, to stay the course. The opening greeting of the letter, including both a a word of blessing and an ascription of of praise, both of which we'll look at this morning in the closing of, of this sermon series, a two for one, you might say. Again, a reminder that the Christian life is nothing less than, than that beautiful both and of hands lifted and heartfelt praise and humble reliance. If you pick up in verse four, John writes, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Not unlike the first week of this sermon series, here we come face to face with a Trinitarian word of blessing, the blessings of grace and peace that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit bestow upon the church. Grace, unmerited favor towards sinners, sufficient to save the lost and sustain God's redeemed. And peace, the comprehensive term for the blessings that God bestows upon those who receive his unmerited favor. Harmony and wholeness, flourishing and well-being. The sustaining grace and peace of God for the people of God on their pilgrimage to the city of God. These blessings of grace and peace poured out upon us, John says, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beginning with the Father, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. John here referencing the Father and the wonder of his eternality. Alluding to the the words that the Lord spoke uh, to Moses from the burning bush. I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you. Self-sufficient, self-existent, always existing God of creation and redemption. In the words of one scholar, the eternal God who is sovereign over and above the vicissitudes of time, space, history. Not only eternal in being, but eternal in sovereign lordship. Grace to you, John says, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What does that mean? Some believe it to be a a reference to angelic beings and 
And yet these words sit right in between descriptions of the father and the son so that many scholars believe, and I'm inclined to agree that, that the seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit in his sevenfold fullness. Perhaps an, an allusion uh, to the book of Isaiah describing the coming Messiah and his spirit-empowered anointing, which we know took place at Jesus' baptism. Isaiah chapter 11, verses one and two says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The ultimate fulfillment of that part of, of, of this Isaiah passage being the coming Messiah. He goes on and he says, and the, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Notice the, the sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit there. Spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The fullness of the Holy Spirit who goes forth from God's throne, bestowing grace and peace to God's redeemed. Grace to you, John says, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, the eternal God who is sovereign over and above the vicissitudes of time, space, history, and grace and peace from the seven spirits who are before his throne, the fullness of the all-sufficient, empowering Holy Spirit, and grace and peace from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of kings on earth. John here describing the person and work of Jesus in a way that corresponds to his offices of prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, the faithful witness. As Jesus goes on to describe himself in the letter to the church in Laodicea, Revelation chapter three, verse 14, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. Jesus, the amen, God so be it. The perfect revelation of God and his salvation, faithful and true in word, faithful and true in life, faithful and true in death. As prophet, the faithful witness, Jesus is. God's yes and amen. As priest, the firstborn of the dead, having offered himself, as the author of Hebrews says, as the once for all sacrifice for sin. Now our risen and ascended high priest of heaven. The word firstborn from the Greek word uh, prototokos. It's where we get our English word prototype. Jesus is the first model. To use the language of one scholar, the beginning and founder of a new humanity, a new people by virtue of his having been the first to rise never to die again. As prophet, the faithful witness, God's yes and amen. As priest, the firstborn of the dead, the firstfruits of the resurrection and inheritance that await we, his redeemed. As king, John says, the ruler of kings on earth, sovereign over uh, political leaders and world rulers. He who removes kings and sets up kings, Daniel chapter two, verse 21. He in whose hand every king's heart that has ever been king is a stream of water so that he turns it wherever he will, Proverbs 21, one. Supreme in authority, Jesus is, supreme in power, supreme in wisdom, sovereignly seated on the throne of heaven so that nothing is outside of his plan. The risen king crowned with glory, preeminent in all things, Colossians one, having the first place, surpassing all others, 
All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. It's not hard to, to see how such a word of blessing, a grace and peace be to you all, would give way to, to a glorious ascription of praise. Verse five goes on to say, to, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Following a, a Trinitarian word of blessing, the, this ascription of praise focuses in on Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, him who loves us. The, the word translated love, a present participle, and never has it been more glorious than to nerd out on what that means because it means that the most literal translation is this, to the one loving us. To the one loving us. This is a right now love. This is a present in the moment, no matter what our circumstances may say otherwise, love. This is a real time love. There's no deeper theology than Jesus loves me. A present tense love that John grounds in a past tense work of redemption, notice. Jesus having freed us from our sins by his blood. How do I know that he loves me? Because he loved me. As Jesus himself declared, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus gave his life, spilled his blood as our unblemished Passover lamb, our sin-bearing substitute, his atoning sacrifice, freeing us from the penalty that would otherwise be ours to pay. In the words of one scholar, ours were the sins his was the blood. Let no man wonder hereafter if salvation is sufficient. We who are in Christ have been freed from our sins by Jesus' blood. Glory, hallelujah. And yet John doesn't stop there. Right? As he understands that Jesus doesn't just save us from, but to. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Not only have we been freed from our sins by Jesus' blood, but we've too been transferred to his kingdom, Colossians 1.13. The language here hearkening back to the Exodus, God's freeing of Israel from Egyptian enslavement, in the wake of which God told the Israelites through Moses, Exodus chapter 19, verses four through six. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, God says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall, here it is, be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's purpose for Israel, that she would be a, a kingdom of priests, that she would be a holy nation, a city on a hill bearing witness to the surrounding nations to God's goodness, glory, and grace, God's salvation, God's redemption. 
a purpose that was never quite fulfilled, now accomplished, John says, in Christ for all believers. Christ having made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Not simply meaning that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son, though that's surely true, but that we've been given priestly and kingly roles in Jesus Christ to be exercised both now in this age and in the age to come as a priesthood of believers offering sacrifices, not of atonement, but of thanksgiving and praise to God because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, having access to the very presence of God through him, our great high priest, in whom we can be assured of God's forgiveness and blessing, through whom we can know God's anointing, the blessing and presence of his spirit, as those in identification with his kingship, exercising kingdom power, participating in the advancement and spread of God's kingdom through the gospel to the glory of our great King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. In the age to come, exercising our roles as priests and kings in perfect joy-maximizing, God-glorifying expression. It's what we were made for weaved into the very fabric of creation. Going all the way back to the Garden of, of Eden, if you study Genesis chapters one and two, it's fascinating because you already get the temple imagery. You already get the, the priestly and kingly offices that, that you'll see uh, as the, the Old Testament progresses and moves forward. And as Jesus fulfills those offices, as he comes to set things right, Going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Adam was put in the garden to work it and keep it. Keep meaning to guard, to guard the garden sanctuary of God as the first priest in human history. Two, commanded by God to exercise dominion over all of creation, to rule over creation for the glory of the greater king. Only to fail, Adam did, as we all know. He failed as priest in guarding God's garden sanctuary, allowing evil to lurk in the form of a serpent. Two, failing as king in rightly exercising dominion, choosing a life of judicial autonomy and self-determination in rebellion against the greater king. As have we all, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that, that we are. This is where we're meant to say, praise be to God for the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The perfect priest king having come to accomplish what none of us have accomplished nor ever could accomplish. That we might be redeemed, that we might be restored. We might someday live in the fullness of, of what we were made for as God's priest kings. Under the authority of and for the glory of Jesus Christ, to be sure, our great high priest and king of kings. How fitting that John would go on to declare, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Glory and dominion, preeminence and power, majesty and might, splendor and sovereignty. Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary on Revelation 1, he says, we are won by the attraction of his eternal love Though we had been captives in the chains of sin, 
The guilt and the chain have been dissolved together by his blood. We are freed. Is it any wonder that the church sings this great song of praise? He has redeemed us. He has made us a kingdom. We become priests to God and his father. The redeemed church, he says, boasts not in herself, but sings to him be the glory and the dominion. I would ask this morning, have you been freed from your sins by the blood of Jesus? Reconciled to God through faith in Christ and his cross. Perhaps the, today is the day to declare, mine are the sins, yours is the blood. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And for we who come in this morning professing faith in Christ, I would ask, how is the kindness of the Lord leading you even now to, to deeper repentance and, and trust? Having been freed, having been redeemed, having been made a, a priesthood, a kingdom, all because of and only because of Jesus. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And as we've done with each of these doxologies and the church joined the apostle John in saying, amen. amen. This book of the Bible, by the way, only gets better and better as it pertains to the doxological. If you, if you study the book of Revelation, this is the shortest song we get. It, it only expands and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's a declaration as to where this story's headed. There are more songs to be written. There are new songs. There will be songs of praise that we've never heard in the new heaven and earth, and we will be participatory in that. The song is only going to grow on into the ages of eternity. And yet, by the wonder of God's grace, we, we get to participate in that and practice for that even right now. In a moment, we're going to do just that. We're going to bring our collective song before the Lord. And I would encourage you not just to sing, but to listen to the voices around you. Participating in, in this responsive ascription of praise. I would encourage you to bring that both and before the Lord this morning, before we sing the very first lyric that we're going to sing moving forward. We'd start with the, the, the benediction piece of this morning's passage and encourage all of us, myself included, to come before the Lord and say, I need your sustaining grace. I need your sustaining peace right now, God. Would you pour that out upon me, Father, Son, and Spirit, whatever that looks like. And that we would then pause for a moment and say, because you're worthy, because you're a God of redemption, of dominion, of power, you can do these things. We'll also participate in the Lord's Supper, which you're welcome to come and receive at any point over the course of these last few songs between now and the benediction. If you're a Christian, that, that meal is for you. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to participate in the Lord's Supper, but rather your, your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for forgiveness. If you want to talk about what that even means, I'd love to connect with you. I'll be in the back of the auditorium or set up a time to connect in the coming weeks, days. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. 
as you prepare to do so, just encourage you to sit with this morning's passage in front of you for, for just a moment to recognize that Jesus loves you right now. He is loving you right now. How do you know it? Because he loved you and gave himself for you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.